0: The most frustrating thing about it is that everyone has a different rule and there's no straight answer and it's all this weird gray area. We have been shut down by Shopify before and it was devastating. It's just that right now our demand is such that we haven't had to go down that road of really being too specific in our content. Eventually, we'll be forced to be a lot more specific, right? So how do you market to your target audience without communicating to them what they want to hear it's again incredibly frustrating these platforms don't care right tiktok is chinese owned so it's super conservative and thus we have more issues there facebook google it's not worth it to them so if they see anything that raises a flag they're going to shut it down
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Shada Tarabi. I'm the host of the To Be Blunt podcast, and I'm so glad you guys are joining me today. I'm a little bit on cloud nine just to, you know, keep things real. It is going to be 420 soon, which if you're in the cannabis industry and you're not planning on something to celebrate cannabis on 420... You might be a little behind, but we have about a month to go before that holiday kicks off. And let me tell you, as a fan of cannabis, as a business owner in a cannabis brand and just, you know, a consumer. I'm looking forward to this holiday. I've got some fun things up my sleeve that I cannot wait to share with y'all, but that will be, you know, more to come later. We're all here because there's a new episode and you may or may not be familiar with this brand. You may or may not even own this product. I own this product. I have this product in my home kitchen. Yes, I said kitchen. Essentially for, you know, you old school folks, it's a cannabis butter machine, But for you new school folks, Levo Oil is the Keurig of cannabis butter machines. I mean, it's beautiful. They have amazing color palettes. They have done a tremendous job marketing the brand. The brand is just a couple years old and it's very easy to use. So it's obviously, you know, something that not only is aesthetically pleasing, it functions well, but it's a great tool. Whether you are someone who wants to dabble in creating your own can of butter, I think it should also be mentioned. It's not just for cannabis. You can put your other favorite herbs and oils in and create, you know, from there. But most people, We like cannabis. We want to be able to incorporate it into other things. And so a Levo oil machine is one of the latest, greatest tools that have hit the market that allows consumers to create their own cannabis products by making their own canna butter. So when I had the opportunity to connect with Andrew Tyson, who is the director of marketing for Levo oil, I jumped at the opportunity because hello, I love talking about marketing. But this brand, to me, has done a really great job activating influencers. They create a lot of content. They curate a lot of content that their influencers are creating. And also, they've just got a really great brand narrative. And so I'm really excited to have Andrew on the show to help walk through some of how Levo Oil has developed their brand and how they've created so much success. And so without further ado, I'm going to let Andrew welcome himself to the show and dive right in.
0: My name is Andrew Tyson. I'm the director of marketing at Levo. I have a background in building and scaling brands. I was previously working in the toy industry where I built a billion dollar brand called Zuzu Pets and eventually made the transition over to Levo to help grow and scale uh, this business.
1: How old is Levo? How did Levo come about? I mean, the punchline is it's a it's a cannabis butter machine, right? And I think most people who are tuning into the episode have Googled the name or have maybe even owned one or seen one or heard about it themselves. But cannabis butter is not a new concept. It's certainly a messy concept for anybody who's attempted it without a Levo oil machine. So I personally know the value of what Levo provides, but I guess, help us understand, you know, where did the idea for it come from and why Levo Oil? So our
0: founder, Chrissy, started the company about two and a half years ago. She witnessed some friends trying to make can of butter and she decided there's got to be a better way. So yeah, she took it upon herself, patented it, launched it, took it to market. It's actually a really cool, inspiring uh, story. She also was suffering from some health ailments so, she was already kind of dabbling in that herbal remedy world. This was something that she was super passionate about, and she's launched it. In 2019, she had more of a wholesaler uh, distribution model, but we took everything in house, took control of our supply chain. Thankfully, at the beginning of 2020, and things have just absolutely skyrocketed.
1: Yeah, I think that's my observation. When I first got introduced to the brand, I was kind of sharing with you. I feel like I've known Levo Oil since she founded the company. I was very fortunate to be the recipient of one of the first Levo Oil machines just through a a family friend, it seems like, who knew her. And it was something that was like, wait, what is this? And yeah, I'll try to use it, but it wasn't as accessible. Obviously, the brand had just started, and so... I didn't see as much of the consumer adoption as I see now. So two and a half years later, the brand to me seems like it's exploded. I feel like I mentioned, you know, making can of butter or suggesting to someone to, you know, look at different types of devices. And when I mentioned Levo oil, people are already very familiar with the brand. And so for me, I feel like y'all have done a really good job of bringing it to the consumers and also activating on it from a marketing perspective. What are some of those channels that you've leaned into in terms of marketing?
0: Yes. So surprisingly, the biggest one has been TikTok. I think we're a little bit fascinating and what differentiates us to your listeners will be that we've really found a way to leverage TikTok. It can be a challenging platform. It's new, right? They've just launched their performance marketing backend service, which we're dabbling in now. But back in June of 2020 we had a video go viral on TikTok and it drove so much traffic to our website. It was pretty insane. So I got in touch with the gal who had created the video and made her an affiliate. She's now in-house, but really things have just kind of taken off.
1: I guess for me to understand too, TikTok is challenging, I think for anybody creating content, but I especially find when you're creating cannabis content, obviously certain platforms flag certain things. I think smart for y'all to not necessarily have cannabis as part of your brand name. I think that that's obviously already a like, maybe we can pass through this level, but you are producing cannabis butter. And so at some point, I imagine these videos are featuring flour going into the machine. Do you find that that's troublesome or that really hasn't been any kind of like roadblock or hurdle? Your hurdles are more just figuring out how to go viral on these platforms, like so many brands are, cannabis aside, I feel like brands are just trying to go viral on these social media platforms.
0: Yeah. No. So it has been a big challenge for us. We've actually had multiple, one of our biggest viral videos that had nearly 5 million views was removed after about 24 hours. So it was certainly frustrating, but still the benefits that we reaped from it were enough to keep us moving forward. And we do have videos flagged Um, on our own account. But it's really about not being so specific about cannabis, right? So we're, as our founder would say, herb agnostic. So you can be infusing anything. It's just kind of using that wink and a nod language and tone to communicate to the people that would already know what it is.
1: I guess that's a fair point to highlight. I remember getting the, my first label oil. So it would have been about two and a half years ago. And The packaging was not very cannabis specific. It was very herb specific, but obviously, like you said, people knew kind of what to use it for. I feel like in the span of the last two and a half years, y'all have definitely leaned a little bit more into the cannabis industry is there any type of demographics that you're aware of, of like, would you say like 99.9% of your customers are buying it to make can of butter? Or are there people out there who are like, I'd like to make sage butter today?
0: Yeah, it's about 98%.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I imagine just because of how I think the industry has kind of trended and especially the accessibility for people to have access to putting this machine in their house and wanting to be able to be in control of creating their own. I mean, I've just heard so many stories, people who are obviously making edibles with it, but people who are making topicals with it, they're making their own extractions, their own sublingual oils. I think the traditional mindset of using this process is really, I think for edibles, but there's so many other applications that I think it's really opened up for the consumer to play around with. And so kind of looping back around, knowing that I've you know observed some of your content, y'all create your own content and you're also activating on content creators. So how does that dynamic work? Are you sourcing people? I mean, you just kind of highlighted this person who had created this, you know, really high traffic piece of content. You were able to create an affiliate relationship. Maybe that's a pause moment because I'm sure a lot of people are not familiar with what affiliate marketing is. So kind of what I know affiliate marketing is really big for y'all. I'm actually an affiliate of y'all's too. But knowing that there's some of these marketing tactics that you're using to go help drive that brand awareness.
0: Yeah, so it's all been very deliberate. Our owned channels versus influencer channels or offline channels, we really push the messaging and rely heavily on affiliates, influencers to communicate what we can't. We've walked that line in order to avoid things like Shopify, you know, not, not handling our transactions anymore or Google Ads punishing us or Facebook punishing us. So we've definitely gone in the direction of, for instance, sure, you can make weed brownies, but we're not going to say that. Let's have Dope Yola say it. And he can say it much better than we can. So we'll just activate him. By the way, Dope Yola, if you don't know him, amazing.
1: I'm familiar. Very cool content. On that subject though, that is really interesting to me because I think what I've observed from being in the industry is like, there's a, there's like, tears, right? The closer you are to touching the plant. So meaning selling like an actual edible, like you're not selling an edible, you're selling a device for people to, in your words, kind of a wink and a nod, do whatever you want with the machine, put whatever herbs you want inside the machine. And your name doesn't even really say anything. Cannabis, how are these platforms- flagging you? Is it just because by nature, it's like the extension of it. They know it's cannabis related. And so they're kind of slapping you on the wrist. But I guess my observation again is just that the farther away you can be from touching the plant, the safer you are, not that you're completely safe, but it sounds like even in your case, you still are experiencing some of the same challenges that businesses who touch the plant are experiencing.
0: Yes, it's bizarre. And The most frustrating thing about it is that everyone has a different rule and there's no straight answer and it's all this weird gray area. But we have been shut down by Shopify before and it was devastating. It's just that right now, our demand is such that we haven't had to go down that road of really being too specific in our content. So we'll get there eventually, but as of right now, the risk outweighs the benefit, right? There's too much of a downside. We avoid it for the most part, even in email.
1: You mean like email marketing or just?
0: Yeah. So, not using certain terms, not showing flower, um, just being very generic. It's just that we're blessed with where our demand is right now. Eventually, we'll be forced to be a lot more specific, right? So, how do you market to your target audience without communicating to them what they want to hear, right?
1: Well, I think that's the challenge in the industry right now is you're being told this is this plant, it's stigmatized, it's a weed, it's a drug. But then on the flip side, so like, I'd be curious if there's any differentiation for y'all on this front, hemp is federally legal. Hemp looks like weed, but hemp is legal for all intensive purposes. So where does that line get drawn of, hey, look, we're, we're just using legal herbs, we're not using federally illegal herbs.
0: It's again, incredibly frustrating. These platforms don't care, right? TikTok is Chinese owned, so it's super conservative and thus we have more issues there. Facebook, Google, it's not worth it to them. So if they see anything that raises a flag, they're going to shut it down. It's very frustrating.
1: Did you have the same experience when you were working in the toy industry? Are there as many kind of like Hurdles because I don't want to think that cannabis is the only challenging industry. You know, all industries have their setbacks, but I can't imagine that selling toys has as many restrictions as cannabis does.
0: No way. You would actually be very upset (laughs) to learn how few restrictions there are around toys. I mean, obviously, you have to do your safety testing when it comes to materials, you have a choke test, you have these other things, but no, this is very different in many ways.
1: So were you like, yeah, I'll come and be director of marketing of this machine that is associated to cannabis, but not outrightly selling cannabis. It should be easy. We'll do these marketing tactics that I've, you know, proven over here in this other world and try to apply it to cannabis. And it's like, eh, red door, stop, can't go past go. Like you're just completely inundated with roadblocks.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. I, I was, I could not imagine the restrictions. Um, It was frustrating, discouraging, embarrassing, but we've come a long way and we're figuring it out. And, you know, we're in a a blessed position to where we don't have to be that overt right now.
1: Yeah, I guess going back to, to a point that you were making around some of these like influencers, it's something that I talk a lot about on the platform and I find myself in a position of influence creating content as well. And for better or worse, brands can get around some of this red tape. It's not that it automatically goes away. It just puts that ownership of potential flagging or, you know, calling out the content on someone else. And it kind of, in my eyes, it distributes the responsibility instead of it solely following on the following on the brand. Um, but it's also something that has In my opinion, also probably been extremely rewarding for y'all because you are able to activate on all these other people creating content for you. And I think that's something to highlight too. Because there's a lot of people out there who have a lot of great experiences with a brand, they're creating content, but how do you, or maybe they're not even creating content, they're having great experiences. Let's use your product. They're using Levo oil, they're having a great experience how many people own a Levo oil to how many people are actually going and tagging you guys in something? Do you have any sort of understanding of the amount of people who own a product versus are actually like voices for the brand?
0: Mm. Yeah, I think we would be surprised that it's very little. The amount of people that are out there shouting and and telling others about Levo is a lot smaller than um, we might think. But again, we have a very diehard group of people that are just very loud, right? So it's like the 20%, 80% rule. So the 20% are just very loud. You know, for instance, our Leva Love Club Facebook group has just been gangbusters. It's growing rapidly. And we have a refer friend program that's continuing to grow as well. So there's proof in, in the, the word of mouth MLM strategy
1: Well, I think as a marketer too, you always want to try to figure out, at least I shouldn't say all all marketers care about this. Some marketers, you know, they just want to scale and become a huge brand. But I think there's something to say about brands that take the approach of trying to create brand loyalty, right? Like there's brands out there who just want to make a quick buck. They don't care if if you come back and be a customer, but I I observe y'all's brand as a brand that you want this referral, you want this affiliation, you want people to kind of have this positive sentiment. And so it seems like you're putting in place marketing tools to help activate on that that decision of wanting people to feel empowered to spread the word. And so I like that you highlighted kind of the 2080 because I don't think that you have to have 80% of your customers shouting from the rooftops. You need the 20% who's super loyal, who's going to go out of their way to create content. Like for us, again, we were talking kind of before we were recording, but my sister used the Levo oil machine to make a video on her channel. That Benefited her to some extent because it gave her views. It also gave our CBD brand some, you know, views and recognition because we attributed it to our store. But then Levo is getting, you know, hundred thousand views and people are talking about it and people are sending it around. It was so remarkable to me. Anytime I would kind of bring it up, I would find certain people who would say, Oh, I actually saw your video on Levo Oil. And that was kind of what helped educate them on the product. And so us having no real connection aside from potentially being an affiliate at the time and still, you know, being an affiliate, but that was the only hook for us other than, Hey, we just had a really great experience with this. We wanted to highlight this product and this tool because we know that it will help our channels grow. Obviously then the brand is able to take advantage of that and then leverage it for their own marketing. So,
0: yeah. So let me say, thank you first of all, and, and tell your sister, thank you. Cause great video. We appreciate it. I will. Yeah, but the other thing we have to remember is that Levo, the nature of the product requires a lot of education, right? So it's it's very different in that we're not just selling a bong, we're not just selling a gummy, we're selling a product that requires time, energy, education, and experience. So again, just educational material, having people walk others through how it works, that's going to be our bread and butter. And that's another reason why TikTok works for us. It's kind of like a tutorial type of platform, right? Watch me dance, watch me nay And people try to replicate that. So this is, you know, this fits very well into that TikTok mold.
1: Okay, I appreciate that observation because I do think that there is something about watching someone else do it that gives you the confidence or the interest to want to go make the purchase. And I'll also mention the price point for the machine is really reasonable. Like
0: we get, we, get, we get the opposite. Really? It's too expensive. Yeah.
1: For what it does though. I mean, you said it and as someone who's been like a cannabis consumer myself for like 15 years, I haven't dabbled in making can butter. The, other, I mean, I've dabbled in it because I had friends who wanted to do the messy, you know, decarboxylating and then they're stinking up the house and not that the Levo doesn't, you know, it's the herb, it still creates a scent to it, but it's certainly a much more contained, clean, processed way of going about it. And so I I just observe how how difficult it would be for someone to just kind of get it out of the box and kind of want to navigate it. And so of course, the first thing you would do is like, I just want to look up a YouTube video. I want to go to these channels that they have social platforms. And yeah, like you mentioned, like y'all are on TikTok, you're on Instagram, you're creating a channel for all the voices who are speaking in the market about your product to kind of be available for someone who's searching for information. Y'all do a good job of curating. I think that's the word I would like to use. You curate content created about yourselves very well.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it's taken a lot of effort and we have a lot of people helping us do that. I have a great team. I have somebody managing all of our influencer outreach, somebody managing just the entire TikTok platform and all of those influencers. It's, it's a lot of work, but thank you for saying that.
1: Yeah. In terms of managing influencers, I guess, help me understand a little bit more of y'all's, I guess, you know, way that you're going about it. When I'm looking at your TikTok, for example, are those videos that someone else has created and sent you are those videos that someone else has created on their platform and you're repurposing, or is that unique content that whether it was. Created by your team or an extension of your team through an influencer who was hired, it's all unique content that you own, right? Versus pulling someone else's content.
0: Yes, correct. For the most part, I mean, we do have some UGC, right? But most of what you see are influencers, and we do a trade based agreement because of our high AOV. You know, it's not like we're going to send them you know, a nug of flour, for instance, and ask them to post, no, you would, that would require some financial compensation. So we do a trade-based agreement because of the price point.
1: And so there, just for people who are listening, when you're working with influencers, there's like financial compensation that could be done. There's also trade-based. So I'm assuming you're trading a product, which is the machine for them to create content on your behalf. About how many influencers do you work with in that capacity, aside from just the organic content creation that's happening on your behalf?
0: Um, I would say at least 40 a month.
1: Damn, that's a lot of influencers to kind of keep track of and manage.
0: I know. it's, it's, it's Like I said, it's a lot of work.
1: Is there some type of rule or you know, flow that you are like, telling these influencers to create content around?
0: we have uh, like a multi-pronged approach with different strategies for each type of outreach. We'll have very specific asks to certain content creators. For instance, if they're a chef and they're going to create recipes for us, we'll be specific about our asks sometimes. If they're more just entertainment, there's no leash. They can go and do whatever they want. So it's, it's a combination of both.
1: That's a really interesting point that you bring up too, though. It's interesting that you kind of see value on both ends of the spectrum and you're trying to connect the dots. Because I guess that makes sense because really anybody could own a Levo. It's not like, oh, just for people who are professional chefs or just for people who are like at-home bakers. It's like, if you have the money and you want to put a Levo oil in your kitchen, you can. How do you, I guess, market to that particular segment of people who are using it more for the medicinal application? Because do you find that it competes with I guess because Texas, we don't really have a medicinal market, if that's fair to kind of highlight in the discernment of like people who are wanting to use cannabis for medicine. For the weekenders, the recreationalists, they're just going to dispensaries and buying whatever because they want to get, quote unquote, let's say high versus someone who's really looking at it from a medicinal perspective. Maybe they're looking at, I need this cannabinoid mixed with that cannabinoid. I need this ratio. I need this oil for better absorption. That's just it's a different conversation. and And so how do you kind of activate those people to help educate them on their medicine?
0: The strategy that we've implemented is to really find those those people in forums and in private groups. That's really where we get that the traction. And back to your point, you know, if you're trying to get off of opioids or painkillers, they don't sell potent enough gummies for you. It's a big audience of ours, and we believe and have found that within forums, private groups is our best bet.
1: I want to kind of go back to something you mentioned, Shopify, just because e-commerce is such an interesting subject for this industry. My background is e-commerce, actually, professionally. I come from the platform and hosting world. And so when I launched my CBD brand, we were e-commerce first. So this was in 2018, similar kind of time for y'all to be founded and launched. I didn't think I knew just how difficult being online and selling cannabis products was going to be, which is what led us to ultimately opening a brick and mortar. We still operated an e-commerce and we still operate an e-commerce today, but it's much um, more nuanced and it's a bit more challenging for even myself with an e-commerce background to navigate. I'll break that down. It's one thing to have a website. It's another thing to take people's money, right? Right. And then on top of that, I find depending on the platform that you're using, you mentioned y'all were on Shopify. I don't know if you're currently still on Shopify. We use WordPress. WordPress is open source. Shopify is a closed platform. Depending on the platform you're on, there could be potential further limitations. So again, reflecting Levo Oil versus my CBD brand, I sell flour, I sell edibles, I sell topicals you're selling a device that is not, ex- again, like directly touching the plants. You're kind of removed from the plant. So I was interested when you said that Shopify was giving y'all some challenges because as we've been navigating the industry, people have been saying, oh, go to Shopify. Shopify is great. Shopify will totally support cannabis. They've gotten into the industry and." I have friends at Shopify who were telling me that saying, Shada, come bring over to Shopify. And I would call Shopify and I would say, these are the products I have. And this is what I want to sell. Can I do it? And they couldn't answer my questions. And then they gave me the roll around. And then finally I got a hold of their legal department and their legal department said, actually, no, you can't sell flour and you can't sell certain types of products. So yes, maybe Shopify is open to cannabis, but it depends what you're selling. And in my opinion, it depends what type of product you're selling on top of that. So it's just one of those things. I don't think enough people in the industry are talking about the e-commerce side of things. So you mentioned Shopify being a bit of a challenge, knowing that you're selling predominantly online. I know y'all used to have a wholesale model. Are you doing more direct to consumer? Are you exclusively doing direct to consumer? And what is the platform like? Are you on a On an open platform, are you still trying to navigate Shopify and kind of help us peel back why Shopify was such a bitch to work with?
0: Well, Shopify has been good to us since then. You know, Shopify is just the biggest and the best. So it's kind of where we've, we've wound up. As far as being penalized, you know, again, even if you're an ancillary business and we have partnerships with other companies that are very similar to us. And they have absolute horror stories about getting shut down and their payments. It's almost, it's put companies nearly out of business. And I agree. Nobody's talking about this, but these companies, you know, they're U S owned or Shopify might be even Canadian owned. So that makes sense, but
1: they're Canadian owned,
0: you know, going back to the whole Google's a U.S. based company. If it's not federally legal, they're not going to touch it. And none of them have a clear plan of action or a set guideline. I mean, even when you're talking to Google about AdWords, they don't give you any information. They don't tell you what you can and can't say or what you can and can't show because it's such a gray area, which makes it super challenging, but also very rewarding to be able to to be successful. You have to to be super creative.
1: Yeah, to overcome some of those challenges. Do you mind kind of, I guess, helping explain a little bit more what were some of the challenges with Shopify? Like why was Shopify giving y'all a hard time in the beginning, especially considering you are super ancillary? I can't imagine why they're like, because they say they're supporting cannabis businesses.
0: Yeah. I mean, once you get down to it and you really get a hold of somebody at Shopify, it's, oh, hold on one second. You know, they don't give you a clear answer. It's, oh, this was a mistake or this is why we did it. We saw that transaction and thought that it was connected to this. And so I don't really have any great insight for you there, but It is what it is.
1: You know, Misery Loves Company. I just think I've been isolated in having the conversation around e commerce by myself, just because not a lot of cannabis brands, I think, have touched it. And it's such a big opportunity, I think, for the industry. Because when you look at the marijuana industry, you obviously can't sell weed online. Like maybe now with COVID, you're seeing these businesses being pushed to doing curbside pickup or order online, but you're actually, you know, you're not shipping those products. But from a CBD brand perspective, or these ancillary businesses that aren't directly touching the plant, it's like I I sell a, a federally legal product. These are my COAs. This is you know the integrity of my product. This is what it is. I totally hear you on the, and that's a fair point to highlight for people listening. You kind of need to follow some of where these businesses are based, and that's kind of what's instigating some of their decisions. But yeah, Shopify is one of those ones that to me I'm like you're based in Canada weed is legal in Canada. I don't understand why you're you know, being such a difficult platform for people who want to get on and legally sell CBD or cannabis related products. My experience was like what you just kind of described. I was never fully on the Shopify platform, but I was exploring it. And so I was like, okay, let me talk to a Shopify specialist. Then they pushed me to the CBD team. The CBD team essentially couldn't answer my questions. I'm like, you're the CBD team. How can you not answer my questions if this is the team? Meanwhile, everybody in my connection from my previous experience working in tech and e-commerce is like, oh, Shopify will just take care of you. Shopify is going to be a great partner. I'm like, have you guys talked to Shopify? Because I talked to Shopify and they cannot support my business and what I'm trying to sell on there. And so I'm not saying that Shopify is a bad platform for CBD or cannabis related businesses. I'm saying it's a challenge. Like you said, if you can overcome it that's a win for you. But as a business who's looking to go online, you need to do your homework to understand what these platforms expectations are because nothing is set in stone. I mean, I've just heard so many horror stories from all aspects of it.
0: I caution people, you know, and that's why we play it safe. You know, today I was telling you about our TikTok video from one of our creators is blowing up. And, you know, the sales and traffic coming from that Video for the next few days will be very significant. Can you imagine if Shopify said, Hey, guess what? We're not going to handle any of your transactions right now, and you can't get a hold of them, and you're ringing people, and for a week, you can't sell anything? That's a lot of money. It's
1: a nightmare. But that's the reality for so many businesses and brands in the space who are navigating. And I don't think that it's excluded from anybody. Like, I see big brands who struggle with it just as much as small brands.
0: Nobody wants to touch it. Everyone's scared of it. You know, it, there's a huge stigma that's, but it all comes back to the stigma of cannabis and the, you know, obviously the laws and everything, but it's, you know, we have to change the perception. Hopefully this administration can do something, but you know, it's, it kind of feels like the way it felt like, like cannabis has felt over the last 40 years, right? It's been stigmatized and it's the devil. So it's almost like these companies are reacting in the same manner.
1: It just is so volatile and I love the direction this conversation is taking because what I love to do is kind of, I never want to turn people off from getting into cannabis, but I want to talk about like the real ugly truth of the industry of like, you better be prepared to like have your shit shut down. Like I've had people who call me out and they're like, how did you get away with posting that video of you smoking a joint? When I do that, my content gets flagged and I go, My content also gets flagged. I'm taking that risk as the content creator or as the brand that I want to lean into that uncomfortability, knowing that it may or may not, you know, shut me down. It's just kind of the nature of the game. And unfortunately, I just think we're not addressing it enough. People aren't aware of all the nuances. I think the Facebook kind of Instagram gets talked about a lot. But the the payment side, the e commerce scaling a brand, um, it's very very difficult. There's so much like even if you can transact like with our payment merchant, we have a limit of how much I can even process per month. So I like even if I wanted to go viral and get you know a, a influx of sales, I can only grow so much before my payment processor is like, eh, you know, actually not today. You made too much.
0: Are you paying a premium for for this payment processor because you're in CBD? Yes. Right. So that's another thing that we want to avoid.
1: Yeah, the the percentages to even transact, people, again, don't realize when you swipe your card at your local coffee shop, there's a rate that those payment merchants are agreeing to for that business to process, usually in the 1% to 3% cannabis I've seen as high as 9%. Transaction fees, and it's just the price of doing business. And then you kind of reflect on states like Colorado, where where cannabis is legalized in in you know more all intensive purposes. And then you see these these dispensaries; they're cash only because they one want to be able to yeah make more than what these processors are going to allow them to do. But two, most of these processors don't want to touch cannabis, so it's a very finicky industry to get in. That is like. I, the bane of my existence is navigating it.
0: Right, it's it's a headache for the dispensary, right? To deal with all the payment processing. So they're going to take that headache because they can and they have the leverage and put that on the consumer to have to go and get cash out of the ATM.
1: Exactly. I want to circle back around to something that you were talking about though with this like viral video because I was just on your TikTok. You have like a discount code kind of front and center on your profile page. As a marketer, you obviously always want to be able to attribute sales to your channels, to your campaigns, to your marketing efforts. Do you see using TikTok as the example, people are actually typing that code in or are people just, you see an influx of sales, you know, it came from TikTok. Like how much are you actually able to attribute and how much are those codes working for driving traffic to your website?
0: Yeah. um, There's always that chance that the code is, gets out right? And it gets into a honey or another one of those affiliate services and people are just plugging it in. We would say with about 80% accuracy, we know the traffic coming from TikTok and the transactions. And we're also monitoring those coupon codes, changing them, switching them out, using share a sale to track actual traffic. So it's not just the code, right? It's also the link within certain bios and on different channels. So
1: that's fair point. I guess some brands don't like to use codes and it seems like your brand willingly wants to activate on them.
0: Yeah, you, we've done a bit of research around our conversion and our consumers are, are very compelled when there's any type of promotion.
1: A discount involved. Yeah, y'all did a pretty big Black Friday sale and I feel like it was all over the internet.
0: <laughs> it was a little too big. We did not anticipate the amount of volume. So now we're backordered. And we'll remain back ordered for some time.
1: Oh, really? You're still back ordered from Black Friday?
0: Mm-hmm. It's challenging. It comes with its own set of challenges. It's a, it's a great problem to have, but really had to invest in our customer service. It really exposed where our weakness was at that time. And so we've dumped a bunch of resources in, in, into customer service and support and being more active on social and communicating with our customers.
1: Yeah, I guess to be a little honest with you, I feel like y'all have grown really fast. And I, I observe just like, you know, it's a good problem to have, like you said, like, you know, you want the business to grow. That's the whole reason most people get in business is like, you want it to be successful you want to be able to continue employing your employees you want to see your product reach out in the world but on that you're driving people from tiktok you're having these viral videos you're creating content you're not stopping creating content i mean black friday was like four months ago five months ago so if there's no product for you to actually put in people's hands what is that dynamic like i guess
0: it's a challenge. We have to communicate up front on our PDPs and in our checkout and in email flows that your shipment is going to be delayed. Here's when we're expecting the container to land and when we're expecting to fulfill this order. Just being more upfront about it. I think people are more understanding than we would expect. It, it is a pandemic. Right. There's lots of other manufacturers in the same position. Yeah, so just as long as you're upfront and honest, people tend to be pretty receptive to that. And we've had to work, you know, to get there, and we're not even fully there yet. We still have improvements to do. It's frustrating for everyone, but we're all in the same boat for the most part.
1: But like you said, a good problem to have when you figured out a product that people like, it's accessible, it's easy for them, it's a really fun product. I mean, I just was watching some of the content that y'all have created. There's so many. Like well-known people in the industry who are content creators who you've activated on, do you find that people are coming to you and saying, hey, I want to work with you? Or do you have like a list of like, hey, these are people who are content creators and we want them to have our product in their hands and create content?
0: A little bit of both. We have an influx of people coming to us wanting to create content for us. And then we're always on the lookout for a great brand ambassador. We're actually still trying to hunt for a more recognizable, if you will, figure to kind of help Levo get to that next level.
1: Okay. Listeners, if you've got some chops, you can reach out to Andrew. He might invite you into the Levo oil family.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Or if you know somebody, I kind of need a handout.
1: I got a lot of cool (laughs) listeners. So maybe there's some fun, fun stuff in there for you what comes to mind in terms of like the content that's performing the best, like when this video went viral or when videos go viral, does it shock you? Are you like, why did that video of someone making edibles go viral and not that video?
0: Yeah. Especially at first we had a tough time understanding why, but for instance, on TikTok, it comes down to uh, the manicure. And we found seriously that if you have a nice manicure and you're, using the levo and pushing the buttons on the screen that video tends to do pretty well
1: that's a cool little tip i think that's something that i kind of want to highlight for the listeners like when you're creating content again i think so many people observe brands like yours and they're like oh how did they go viral i want to go viral and it's kind of exactly what you just described it's like being observant of hey did, and dissecting like hey what did this video have that this other video didn't have so on one hand i think it's being observant on the other hand it's creating volume i mean y'all have So many videos out there that by nature, surely something would go viral. And obviously they are, but it's just like by volume, you've kind of mastered that distribution of content creation.
0: Yeah. You, you left out the luck factor.
1: (laughs) Just a little bit of luck.
0: (laughs) And I'm half joking when I talk about the manicure thing, because there's obviously a lot more to it and kind of circling back to how I described TikTok earlier about being kind of this DIY tutorial type of platform. Levo, you know, needs people, people need to have their help, their handheld to figure out what Levo is and what it can do and how to use it. And it's just, it's kind of a perfect, perfect storm.
1: Do you find TikTok is more performant than Instagram? Absolutely. Certainly more performant than Facebook.
0: Absolutely. And that's the thing. We're just now dabbling in TikTok's ad platform. So we haven't even started running any paid media on TikTok.
1: It sounds like you do paid media. So you are doing paid media on platforms like Facebook.
0: Yes. And that's, you know, why we keep our messaging very yeah, clean cut and generic, because we have to be on those platforms in order to scale at the rate that we want to.
1: Yeah. I think that's such a pain point as people realizing like, And you said it earlier, these platforms don't tell you how to play on them. I do believe that you can be on every platform and find success. Like obviously y'all are finding success despite the limitations, but I do think it is trial and error. It's listening, observing to what other people are doing, but also really just testing it with your own product and messaging and just tweaking and seeing and knowing sometimes your content may or may not get flagged. It really is unfortunate because there's, I mean, I don't know the size of Levo Oil in terms of team members. Like sometimes I'm shocked to hear from people like, like High Times actually has a relatively small team, you know, who's operating. And so I think sometimes people think, oh, well only, they can only get away with that because they're this big company and they've got all these different people who are helping, but it's like small businesses too. You kind of need to figure out how you want to navigate and, It's almost like if you don't, if you don't lean in and try to figure it out, you're going to get left behind because people are figuring it out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we get the same thing from our customers, even, you know, you guys are a big corporation trying to take advantage of us. It's, you know, we have 10 full-time staff members now and eight of them were hired in the last three months, you know, so no, we're a small business.
1: Just trying to navigate I wanted to bring up two y'all have done a really good job of getting recognition in I'm going to call it traditional media so there's obviously like I always talk about two there's media that's like earned and owned and you're featured in USA Today, Rolling Stone, Bon Appétit, Forbes. Like are you finding that that's organic or are you going out and pitching the brand the magazine to include you? Cuz a lot of it's more like gift guide type placements, but still you're being featured in these major platforms and and media companies that certainly is helping establish your brand as the brand when it comes to this. But knowing that a lot of my listeners, it's like they want placement in those magazines. Like how does that kind of come about from your brand's perspective?
0: Yes. Yeah, so uh, we have a fantastic PR gal, Lee Scott, shout out. And she helps us get coverage in those in those publications. And earlier you were talking about Shopify and transactions and being penalized there, but we haven't even touched on retail or press and people shying away from cannabis in those channels as well. So you deal with it across the board.
1: Well, so let's talk about it in press. Is your publicist in-house or is she an external agency?
0: External agency.
1: Okay. So I've had a couple of publicists on the show and just for people to reference again, small business, big business. I don't think there's a right or wrong structure to it. It's just getting people familiar with, you could go after and try to pitch, like you are the director of marketing. You could go pitch these magazines, but the chances of you maybe getting picked up in the magazines is not as likely as a publicist who maybe has those relationships already planted.
0: Absolutely. And the beauty of us towing that line between cannabis and culinary and everything else is that we, you know, Jenna can tailor her pitch towards each publication. So if she can take a culinary route and go to food and wine and get, and get coverage there, it opens up more for us.
1: Kind of, I'm curious, because I have a background in like food and hospitality, knowing that y'all work with chefs, like what's kind of the coolest activation or chef experience that you've seen the brand achieve like has Gordon Ramsey gotten his hands on it you know like is there any type of it's showing up backstage at like you know Aspen Food and Wine Festival or a famous chef is using it and making it and taking this dish to this popular restaurant or something
0: yeah I wish I had a, a cool answer for you but I but I don't um, we were almost featured in that Netflix cooking with cannabis show Oh, but we didn't make the cut for some reason. However, I did just send a couple of units to, um, a production assistant for a big food network show. So we'll see if it, if it gets on there. Yeah.
1: Fingers crossed for y'all. Well, so you brought up retail. What's y'all's position with retail? How does that work?
0: We do a little bit of retail and it's generally for brand equity reasons. Um, especially because of where our demand and inventory is right now. But Nordstrom's, for instance, you know, we did a pop-up shop with them in November of last year and sold out in three weeks. So that worked out well. We're in conversations with some other uh, more prestigious retail uh, chains, but, you know, for instance, in the past, we've been in conversations with Target and their hangup was the whole cannabis thing. It was a ginormous gatekeeper, if you will.
1: When you're going into these target meetings, are you, I guess I'm just trying to understand, do you, do you kind of downplay the cannabis? You're like, no, this is an herb extractor target. This is not for cannabis. Ignore the content. You don't see anything. This is for, you know, time and sage. Like this is not for cannabis. And then Target, I'm assuming, comes to their own conclusion like, well, we know what you guys are up to, and we don't want to enable that.
0: Yeah, they went on TikTok and saw our account. <laughs> no I'm kidding. But that's totally it. We highlight the different use cases, right? What use case is relevant to this particular person? Okay, well, that might be clean beauty and making your own makeup, it might be the culinary thing, it might be making topicals and skincare. Because you can do those things with Levo.
1: It's interesting that Nordstrom saw an opportunity to incorporate it, but Target is still like, you know, not for us. but so cool that Nordstrom incorporated you guys. Was it like a holiday pop-up or
0: it was a uh, curated by this famous designer um, and personal shopper. She put she just chose a bunch of products that were new and relevant and that she really um and they did a pop-up shop.
1: That's really cool. So did y'all it wasn't even necessarily that y'all pitched Nordstrom. Someone was incorporating you from their own connection to the opportunity. Right. Like they're just like, this is one of my favorite things, and I want to put it in Nordstrom pop-up.
0: Yes, that's actually the exact same thing that's happening right now with one of Nordstrom's biggest competitors.
1: Well, I think it does start with, you know, what so many of us in the industry are trying to do. It's toe that line, right? You're trying to like lean in, but you also don't want to. Be the one who has the target on their back. But at the same time, you also benefit by being someone who leans into those maybe murky waters because as you identified, hey, you know, it went really well with Nordstrom. And now this is able to turn into this next opportunity for us. And I'm just such a big believer, you know, it just takes one person to see it, one person to change their mind, one person to, you know, take you to the top. And so I think as a brand, just trying to navigate, This is the space that I can play in. These are the tools that I have access to. This is our strategy. Like another thing I always like to highlight with my podcast too, for the listeners who maybe haven't listened to some previous episodes, I always like to highlight, you can listen to everything that we're talking about and still not find the same success if they did everything that we're doing word for word. You have to kind of listen to these stories and, and learn on your own accord. Like you have to lean in and do what's best for your brand because someone who's selling topicals is going to have a much different experience trying to let's say, get into Forbes magazine than someone who's trying to sell pre-rolls, you know, and I think we're seeing that as the industry for better or worse is pushing into more normalization, because obviously, y'all are doing it. You're a brand that is very much steeped in the cannabis industry, but you've gotten or you' you've gotten all this you know recognition kind of at a national level with some of these leading brands and publications and and it just is like leaning into what your offering is, leaning into your why and trying to, you know make headway from that approach versus this is exactly how I did it, and this is exactly how it's going to be done because there's no recipe. To success in anything, but especially in cannabis.
0: Yeah. And I also feel like that's marketing, is just testing and iterating and finding out what works. I mean, there was a huge, ginormous, there was a big internal struggle. I, I guess I'm being a little bit dramatic, but you know, TikTok isn't necessarily aligned with Levo as a brand. It's a little out there, but it was working. So I, you know, I let my I let my gal just take it and run with it and and try to stay out of our way. You know, at the same time, we we don't necessarily know what we're doing every step of the way, but we're testing and iterating and trying to find out what works and, you know, sticking to some some rules that we've kind of made for ourselves internally.
1: I think that's the best approach that anybody in this industry can observe is just trying to, again, kind of figure out what the unique value proposition is of your brand and trying to navigate it accordingly because... I'm, just, I'm honestly really shocked just to hear the challenges that your brand has experienced, especially on the platform side, because I was just really thinking it was solely for people who were like directly touching the plant. And you're not, when you go to your website, you're not selling flour. You're not selling pre-made edibles. You're not selling topicals. You're selling literally a device that could be used to do an array of things with. And if you want to put weed in it, that's good for you, you know, thumbs up. But yet here are all these challenges that you're experiencing. And I just, I was a little taken aback by it because I just don't think that one, the industry obviously isn't talking about it, but two, there's just so many um, corners to this industry that are just, you got to navigate it yourself. You got to feel it out. You got to kind of see where the boundaries are and what you can get, get pushed through. So.
0: Yeah. And, and we're spoiled too. Levo. We're able to, to kind of have that plausible deniability of, you can infuse anything. So There's lots of brands and lots of people like yourself that are dealing with much harsher restrictions and having to jump through bigger hoops. So when I talk about Levo's struggles, it it sometimes pales in comparison to what other true cannabis companies have to go through.
1: I want to kind of end this on a positive note, perhaps if there is some positivity, like you're the director of marketing for Levo Oil. Like it's a really fun brand. You create a lot of fun content. What are some of the highlights that you've seen the brand achieve in your time being there?
0: Wow. Where to start? I mean, these viral videos are so entertaining and it's such a rush when they go off and you watch the traffic pour in. And then, you know, customers are very passionate. There's stories of us helping, you know, people with addiction and people with health ailments and just being able to kind of give back in that way has been, has been fantastic. And we have a, a great team, you know, by the way, we have a CMO, so I'm not the only guy in charge of marketing. Louie, who was previously with uh, Rome, the luggage company, has come on board, and he's been fantastic. I mean, really, I think we've created a really great culture and environment um, at Levo to share and be open and, and, and be positive and all work together in a really healthy manner. So, I mean, that's, that's probably, if I had to say what's, what's the biggest thing that I, I'm proud of or that I love about Levo it's, it's the people.
1: I think that's a really cool place to come from. I think that's what we're all trying to navigate is just like finding our purpose and trying to give back to the world. And especially with a plant like cannabis that is so stigmatized. I mean, I appreciate you highlighting, you know, some of the stories that your customers have shared with you. I mean, again, yeah, it's fun to be on TikTok and to go viral, but to like actually be making a product that helps people Feel better and have control over what they're putting in their bodies, I think, is really powerful.
0: It is. And, you know, we're in this kind of out of stock situation right now. It's kind of been a blessing in disguise because we've been able to step back and formulate a CSR program that we're passionate about in order to give back and help those people that have been incarcerated um, and suffered for years, you know, because of the laws. So we're really making some headway there and just trying to become a better people and a better company that's what i'm most proud of
1: cool well i hope you guys learned how to potentially go viral on tiktok no i'm glad that we were able to have that conversation i know that there are so many so many times that we're told you know we can't do something in this industry and again i just want to kind of remind y'all that Yes, there are a lot of closed doors, but there are more doors opening and a ton of windows that are opening and a few back doors that are opening too. So don't get discouraged. This industry is growing constantly. But again, I really wanna direct you to the takeaway that I hope that you have, which is trying to figure out how you wanna navigate the industry. Like I mentioned in the episode, like I talk about all the time, You can listen to what we're talking about, but applying it for your own brand and business is going to be a completely other story. And so that's what I hope to leave you with is just some encouragement to really sit down and figure out what it is that you're trying to do, what is in your way and how you're going to go attack that. So that's it. That's the tea for this week. Hope you guys are having a good one. You're taking care. We're kicking off into spring. Hot damn. There's about to be a lot of fun cannabis stuff coming up obviously a lot more great episodes new episodes every monday but i appreciate y'all i really truly do this is a labor of love that i do from my my little home office in austin texas so if you ever wonder where i'm having these podcast interviews it's usually from from my desk in my office but i appreciate y'all like i said this is something that i want to be a resource for us to all get stronger get smarter get better together so with that I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks so much again. Bye. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit com slash blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.